Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And I'm Matt. And this is episode eight for March the 10th, 2017. And uh, wow, eight episodes. We're rolling. What's going on, guys? How you doing? Good, man. Good. I got new Lars Van Trier news, so I'm excited. Lars Van Trier Lars news. Lars Von Trier. I'm Von, sorry. Von Trier. Of the Von Triers? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, boy. Wow. So... But I think we have Adam. Don't we even have bigger news than than the Von Triers? <laughs> no, there's no bigger news. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about someone that's persona non grata at Cannes. Oh my! He was goodness. removed, asked not to come back. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a Von, uh, Von Trier, but his reputation precedes him. Let me just say that he's a guy that can tear a dark part from his soul, put it on the screen, and give you a little taste of what he's going through. Yeah, I, he can he can visualize depression, like clinical depression. Ha, has he ever made a, a feel good movie ever? Is that even in his vocabulary? He's made some dark comedy work on Clown, the TV series over in Denmark. He's directed a few of those comedies. They're very dark, but it's still a comedy. Yeah, but like Melancholia, nah. That's that's just a very depressing movie. Nymphomaniacs, one and Melancholia. Melancholia. Is where the wedding and the world ends, or or, or aliens invade, or something, or something falls from the sky. There's another planet. Yeah, another planet collides with Earth and destroys it. Oh, I think I've seen the beginning of that and didn't make it through to the end, I don't think. With Kirsten Dunst? Yes. Yeah, she's really good in it. They had to, like, there must have been someone on set with a cane that if you smile or show any genuine happiness or joy, you shall get beaten. So Lars is giving us a new movie, and he's making a serial killer movie about Jack the Ripper. But this isn't the Jack the Ripper we know. This is a new Jack the Ripper taking place in the 70s in the U.S. He's going to go through five incidents, so it's mirroring the real-life Jack the Ripper but there's this also interesting thing they're describing the synopsis as the verge. <laughs> it's some kind of construct that Jack talks to, and it's described as both sophisticated and innocent and childlike. And Jack is dealing with this verge construct through the five murders. Is this somehow autobiographical? I, <laughs> you got me. I'm excited to see it. Matt Dillon is the lead. Yeah. Okay. But... <laughs> Here's the thing that really got me going in a, in a different article. Right. Lars said this is the most brutal movie he's ever made and that he couldn't get anyone to star in this movie. He goes so far as to say he sent the script to people and this is, I'm quoting him. Let me find the quote. People said to me, I would do anything to be in one of your movies except make this movie. I mean, when you're talking brutal, you're talking about a man who has... um. Shown in his movies, individuals nailing their genitalia to the floor. Okay. I just, I just want to make sure that when we say it's more brutal than anything he's done, that people appreciate how brutal this actually must be. So this is be the first podcast I've ever done. <laughs> of all the podcasts I've ever done, where we haven't sworn yet, and I'll have to put the explicit tag on it. Why we have to put explicit tag? I was very careful with my language. Scientific. Oh, yeah, okay. Scient- scientific, right? Yeah, I, I went actual terms. I didn't 
I didn't even specify male or female. It just God. we left it at blank. Okay. The film is going to film through May and have a very long post-production period. So I'm guessing The Verge is CG or some kind of special effect. Oh, wow. I wonder if Lars will be in that room making sure that no one smiles while they do that, too. <laughs> there shall be no joy in this movie. <laughs> no joy in a Lars well, Is there movie. any joy in that man's life at all? He's coming out of it. Everyone's saying he's getting happier and happier by the day. And that well, good. It, well, yeah. yeah, this is going to be an innocent and childlike serial killer movie. Well, The Verge is. We don't know about Jack. And <laughs> Lars may have been his darkest at Antichrist, I would say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then Melancholia was a step above that. Yeah. And even Nymphomaniac Parts 1 and 2 were more positive and enlightening. Yeah. I will tell you, if this man gets just absolutely giddy, his movies will be sweeter than like kids' movies. Because he has that innate ability to, to literally transfer motion uh, to picture. And it's it's pretty amazing. Whether or not you like the movies, you have to at least appreciate that. Yeah. He is, so he's an auteur. He's a artist. He's, you know, film is art for him. It's his expression of his emotion, his feeling, you know. So, yeah. Cool. What other news, Adam? Indiana Jones 5 is officially coming. That's bull. Steven Spielberg is directing. Cue the clap track, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Spielberg's directing. Harrison Ford is returning. Kennedy and Marshall are producing. And that's all we know. We don't know the screenwriters. And I got to say, I'm hoping George Lucas is off the project. I hope it's just a new writer. That's well, not. I think that's it. part of that's irrelevant just because if, if, if Harrison Ford at age 90 is going to be in this, I mean, how good can the movie actually be? I mean, God bless him. I love Harrison Ford, but I loved him in the 80s. You know, the man is just, you know, whew, he's getting up there, man. I'm telling you. Well, now he's punching communists. He was punching Nazis, so now he's firmly punching communists during this time period. Well, I, I tell you, in Indiana Jones 4, <clears throat> the movie I would rather not remember, he wasn't that bad in it. I mean, granted, that was now a while ago. But still, he wasn't that bad. And I want to see if this is going to be a passing of the hat. Literally, a passing of the hat as passed to him. And So who who would you pick for him to pass the hat to? Oh, Lord. Who would be the next? And would there be another? Would he be called Indiana Jones? And that would be like a character? Or would it be a passing the hat to somebody who's not in, an Indiana Jones? You know what I'm saying? I think you just start over, like Bond. We've had a number of Bonds. We can all accept that they're the same character. Indiana Jones is going to be around for the life of film. He's not going anywhere. Okay. Now, I, I, I could actually buy that. You know, reboot the whole series, call, put a young guy in there and call him Indiana Jones. I would go see that. Right now, Chris Pratt is the favorite, who has the kind of swagger and charisma. I haven't really heard too many other people discussed. I mean... I'd even be interested if Ryan Gosling was up for it. I wouldn't mind either of those, I don't think. does. I'm trying to think, does Ryan, and I, that's intriguing that you say that, but does he have the physicality to play Indiana Jones? That's the, My only question would be, can he really get into the character? You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Well, I mean, if you think, yeah. I mean, Indy got in fights or whatever, but I don't know if it requires that much physicality. But that's just me. 
I think it's important to note that in the casting, they did not announce Shia LaBeouf because they said Harrison Ford's in it. They didn't say Shia's returning as Mutt because nothing at Shia. Nobody liked the character of Mutt. Yeah, that's nothing yeah, against Shia. No. That's nothing it's against just, him. Yes. It's just that was not. That was just had no reason being in that film. There, there actually was no reason for an Indiana Jones four, but there was. Has there been a good Indiana Jones film after the first one? What? Yes. Yes. The prequel, number two. Oh, that's right. For those of you that don't know, that film took place before the first one. And The Last Crusade was solid. I I like The Last Crusade. Yeah, it was good. The Last Crusade was the last crusade was kind of cornbally. I thought it was a little cornbally, but I can I can do that. It's a Saturday afternoon. Popcorn fair, you know, did not like the second film. Way too dark and way too weird and priests and priests and demons and and voodoo spell. Just crazy weirds. That's not. I mean, come on. That's not really Indiana Jones to me, at least. My that was the only film that I've ever gone to the cinema, uh, and didn't see all of it because at the point where the Kali priest throws his hand in the guy's chest my mom promptly grabbed me and pulled me out of the theater (laughs) mama upton was having none of that was she yeah no she she was not i got yanked up and right out of that theater i have since watched it and it is my wife's favorite one oh my goodness hands down because she watched the very first indiana jones i'm so disappointed uh in spanish so (laughs) Her first one she saw in on Spanish? English. Yeah, the first one she saw in English was uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So, Okay. Well, I, I stand by. I love the first one. I could pass on all the ones after it. That's just me, though. Wow. Right, fair enough. Tonight at dinner, before the movie, I mentioned, <laughs> everyone's laughing already, I really do not like disaster movies. And I was talking about this in context of giant monster movies. I like giant monster movies. I do not like disaster movies. Sure. And they're kind of a close genre to each other. Yep. Except one has giant monsters, so that must make the difference in my mind somehow. And the other one has weather and asteroids and oceans. So during the movie, the trailers are up, and we see a trailer for Geostorm. I had no idea this existed. Geostorm. It's from... None other than Roland Emmerich, because of course. Of course. And this is entirely too much. I mean, the audience was laughing at the trailer. There must be 10 tornadoes on screen at one time. At least. It's just like his greatest hits all over again. There's a flash freeze. People are freezing solid. Planes are falling from the sky. Planes are falling straight down from the sky. right. No forward velocity, like a Looney Tunes movie where the plane hit an imaginary wall, and now it's coming straight down at us. And for a guy that's done big waves in every single one of his movies, this looks like the biggest of waves. And that special effect doesn't wow anyone anymore. Didn't it just look like a fake city? Yeah. And all CG. What city was it? It looked completely fake. Well, that and I just have an issue with a movie title that reminds me of very bad cars from the early 90s. Because for those of you that don't know, there was a division of Chevy that called Geo, and Geo did have the Geo Storm, which is a very lackluster, <laughs> unexciting car. And 
when I saw it, I was like, hold on. I know that. I know those two words together. I know those two words together. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, it's a car. And did my eyes betray me or were there fire tornadoes in this preview? There were fire tornadoes. So the trailer has some weather satellite shooting little pods into the air and it's like whoever controls the weather has power blah 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 but then it just shows a bunch of craziness and part of the weather i guess in this world is tornadoes of flame shooting from the ground i haven't experienced that weather call me crazy it may exist somewhere but i've never seen the earth open up and tornadoes of flame shoot out this just looks like a spoof of a Roland Emmerich movie where they're going over the top as they can. It does. It reminds me of like a skit someone would do. Be like, oh, you like tornado disaster movies? Have 17 tornadoes on screen at once. And I have the feeling I know the ending because the weather satellites shoot down these little red missiles that start this weather catastrophe. So I have the feeling the heroes are going to try to get to a weather station to shoot the green ones. Spoilers! Oh no! This is all conjecture, <laughs> but I bet you there's, there's good pods that they can fire uh, off from the satellite well, that will stop the, the weather. You did see that the weather satellite that was in orbit does get blown up. Then there's the backup, where they have to launch one. Oh yeah, I'm sure. There's a backup somewhere that must shoot the green. Because green, as we all know, is the complete opposite of red. <laughs> yes. In movies it is. Yeah, I know. Red bad, green good. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Like my traffic lights. All right. And for the last bit of film news, we had another guest reviewer this week. Yes. Destiny Spencer was kind enough to send us a review for The Shack. So we posted that, and we're we're giving her a shout-out now. (laughs) Yeah. we And I read her article. I thought she did a great job. So thank you very much. Absolutely. And we extend the invite to more. If you see a movie we haven't reviewed or even one we have, send well, us. Well, it was, it was cool that she did that because I actually put a thing out on Facebook saying, hey, I'm not going to get to go see The Shack just with schedule and the podcast schedule and everything. Could somebody go see it? You know, um, because it's interesting because I, I do I do four other podcasts and uh, two of them are, are Christian or spiritually based, theme based, you know, and um so I have a lot of friends that have read the book, The Shack, and just love it and adore the book and just can't wait for this. So, you know, um, you know, the critics are just lambasting this movie. It's like Rotten Tomatoes, like 18% or 17% or something. But overwhelmingly, my friends on Facebook are giving it pretty positive reviews. And I think even Destiny thought it was pretty positive, even though she thought some things were missing in the movie. Even she came out of the movie thinking, oh, this is, it was a pretty good movie, you know, so... It's interesting how sometimes you see that divide. If you look at the popcorn scores, like 86% versus the critic scores, like 18% or something, which is really weird to see that huge divide between the critics and the, you know, and the populace, I guess you would say. I thought it was interesting at least. With the name like The Shack, though, if you didn't know what it was, if you're standing in the theater looking at the board trying to figure out what movie to see... Kind of sounds like a horror movie. If I heard there's a movie called The Shack. Oh, yeah. If you didn't have no clue at all, you know. I would have thought Leatherface lived there. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So what else? Any other news? That's all I got from my news desk. Awesome. Well, we'll be right back with our Thursday night movie review of Kong Skull Island.
welcome back to the Film Coterie. Uh, and as many of you know, we go and see a new movie that comes out every week. And uh, this week we had the opportunity to go see Kong Skull Island. Um, so uh, we'll get to what I think in a little bit, but we'll start it off this week. Who do we start off with last week? Roger? Yeah. Adam, what do you think of Kong Skull Island? Let's take a couple steps back. What are we calling this universe? Are we calling it the GCU? What do you mean GCU? Well, Godzilla-centric universe or GU, Godzilla cinematic universe. I'm calling it the Mutos. (laughs) (laughs) You want to tell the audience what that means? It was a term first brought up when they brought Godzilla back. As far as I'm aware. It could have been before that. Maybe. I don't know. But anyway, MUTO stands for Massive Unidentified Terrestrial Organism. I think I got that right. That's off the cuff. Um, so you're talking about large terrestrial-based creatures. Okay. So, so, Matt, for those who've been living under a rock that have no idea what Kong Skull Island is, give them 30-second synopsis. Not any, not any plot details, no spoilers. Just kind of lay out what is this film. It's a film about a really big chimpanzee that lives on an island with not enough food to sustain him. <laughs> Matt is stuck on that Oh, point. my goodness. Yeah, we've been having this off-the-air argument for a week now about how Matt can't get past the idea that Kong could never survive on this island. He would have to eat 102,000 pounds of food a day. 102,000 pounds of food a day. That's assuming that he is his physicality is that that equivalent to a regular gorilla, correct? A chimpanzee. Or excuse because me. he is not a gorilla. Oh, okay. Right? He is not shaped formed like a gorilla. Okay. He is more like a chimpanzee. Okay. And that's assuming he has but what if he doesn't have the same you know, structure because he is a creature that is on a mysterious island that has never been seen until here recently. So, what if his DNA is different? What what if he metabolizes a lot slower and lives for thousands of years and doesn't require as much food? What are you going to say about that? Well, then I will say you're just making stuff up at this point. Well, it's a movie. That's facts. what we do. We make things up. It's a I movie. Know, but I. I, listen, it's a personal hangup. I get it. Who's going to I go to it. King Kong movie looking for realism? We're not. I understand that completely. <laughs> and I'm still saying 102,000 pounds of food a day. Okay, so the anyway. island. <laughs> yeah. Skull Island. Off of that. In all, the, in all the other Kong movies is always the first act. Right. They go to the mysterious Skull Island to bring yep. something back yes. for a sideshow attraction. This is the first act of all those other movies extended to three acts. It's the whole movie. Right. That's what the trailer shows you. Yeah. I would argue it's a prequel, even. Because if you're going to create this universe, and Godzilla was set in the modern day times. Right. This movie set in 1973, post-Vietnam War. Just immediately after the Vietnam War. I would argue this is a prequel where the island was first discovered, and we won't actually get the where they come and get him and take him back to, you know, the United States until later. But that would be me. So there's lots of monsters on Skull Island. It's not just Godzilla. 
The creature designs are pretty good, except for I didn't really care for the skull crawlers. You see them in the trailer. You see that John C. Riley calls them the skull crawlers. They yeah, look but, like the Mudos from yeah. Godzilla. But now that he says it out loud, he really doesn't yeah. like that name too much. Now let's give props to John C. Riley because <laughs> yes. he is by far one of the best elements of this movie. He's, He's very funny, yeah. hands down. He <laughs> actually has dialogue that he doesn't reveal in the trailer. That's really funny. Yeah. And he's just a joy every time he's on screen. He's great. He's the best thing about this movie is John C. Riley by far. Yeah. Um, the design of the, yeah, I didn't like him at all. I like, I don't even know, like that doesn't even make sense. Like but there's more monsters that I like the design work on. Yeah. Through yeah. the rest of the island. And Absolutely. this is an adventure movie. Yeah. Um, obviously things don't go great when they get to the island and it's them running around for the next 90 minutes. I kind of like the fact that they let it go wrong pretty early. Yeah, they don't mess around. And this is interesting because compared to the recent Godzilla, which is in the same universe, you don't see Godzilla till the end of the movie. Every not, time. Not in every this time, movie. Right. Every time Godzilla is about to do something in the movie, it cuts away. Yeah, it does. You see Godzilla in the op- or Godzilla. You see King Kong in the opening scene of this movie. Yeah, full yes. on. So they're not doing the Godzilla route at all. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, you, you will see if you... Are going to this movie now, to see Kong? You are going to see Kong now. Now you guys may think I'm crazy, but I liked the Godzilla movie. I enjoyed the original Godzilla movie. Hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. hold on. What, when you say original, no, no, Godzilla I mean, I mean movie. The, the one, the, the newer, the, the when I mean, what I'm saying is, I enjoyed the most recent version of the Godzilla movie that they made, okay? the Gareth Evans one. Yes, I liked, and I liked it because they didn't show him. And spo- just tiny spoiler alert. There's a scene at the end where he reveals Godzilla reveals his true power, and that payoff was very good for me. I found myself going, I, "Listen, I don't oh think, yes. I don't think there's spoilers for a movie that old, so you can give it up." Right, but you know when 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 he's when he when they finally do show him and how big he is and how incredible he is, and he shoots that nuclear stuff. Well, it's atomic breath. Atomic breath. You know. That was like, oh yeah! I remember. I think I might have high fived my son Zach in the theater while we were watching it. It was so cool. I think we all liked it. Yeah, I I really you liked, know. And yeah. so I really like Godzilla. W- when I saw that they were expanding this universe, and this is what this movie is. This is an yeah. extended universe, and that's no secret. It's an yeah, all it's not a secret. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that and I mean, that's kind of the way. I mean, that's kind of how Godzilla was, and all this stuff. I mean, there was Mothra and a bunch of other creatures i can't name and you know i mean that's how this was it's how it was originally done so i like that they're going back there yeah absolutely so john c Riley's good um brie larson i liked her as uh she's the photographer you see in the trailer and she's not your typical heroine they do some interesting stuff with her She's not as boring as what I thought they were going to make her out. She's not cookie cutter, at least. It's a hard role to play. She doesn't have much to do. There's not much character development in this movie. They're just really running around. But they've done better than the traditional, I'm Kong, I grab you, take you to Empire State Building. Yes. Right. And then uh, Tom Hiddleston plays the generic hero. There's nothing much to his character. Yeah. Really, the only fleshed out kind of unique character was John C. Riley. I thought. Yeah. I mean, he, he really was... I mean, it's like, imagine if you're stuck on this crazy island for 28 years and humans show up again, you're, you know, people show up again, you're going to be a little strange. And he was strange in a funny way, you know? And Samuel Jackson was Samuel Jackson. However you imagine him in this role, he's exactly that. I, I will say this about Samuel Jackson. You have to be careful when you cast him. This is just my opinion. But when you cast him in a movie, you have to kind of rein him in. 
because he can become a caricature of himself real quickly, you know, i.e. snakes on a plane kind of deal, you know, where he he can go overboard and then you're la- you're not laughing with him, you're laughing at him kind of thing. At least just my, just my opinion. Do you think he was running the circus in this one? And I I, I thought in the first act that he kind of they kept him subdued, but then I think he kind of. He kind of got turned into a caricature of his own character, if that makes any sense. But so I wasn't real fond of him later in the movie. I wasn't fond of a lot of things later in the movie. So, and last we have John Goodman, and they waste John Goodman in this movie. Oh, That's total gosh, waste. waste. He's so much better than the material. Yeah. Anybody could have played that role. It could have been an actor you've never seen before, and it wouldn't have made a difference. It, it, they had a golden opportunity to put him in the group with John C. Riley and have them play off of each other, it would have been golden. Could have been could have been some great movie time stuff. But yeah, he was totally wasted in the movie. I agree hundred percent. So overall, um I gotta say I was disappointed with the movie. It's fun and I know Matt will get into this a little bit more, but once we kind of swing between act two and three, it just goes downhill. And it's a frustrating thing to me I see in a lot of movies from the screenwriting perspective. Because the characters just start making a, a parade of errors and bad decisions. Yeah. When this type of movie, there's enough going on on the island that you could have them just trying to get off or get to a point, And there's enough interesting stuff that can happen to them while they're making good decisions. But just the fact that we have to follow making stupid decisions when you know they're stupid decisions. And it's, it's right. frustrating to me as a viewer. Well, and it's like they tried to throw two or three messages in a movie that's not a message movie. Don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Just act like anybody normal human being would act, even if you're in the military. When you find out X, Y, and Z has happened, then you're going to turn and say, okay, we're getting off this flipping island right now, you know? And try to save everyone. Let's just go. And try to save everyone. You know, you don't... Yeah, I I, I agree as well. Um, Loved the beginning. I really thought this movie was going to be really good. I thought, they keep this up, but then it just kind of... The longer it went on, the more it kind of fell off the rails and got kind of just it, – it just wasn't good, you know, that kind of deal. There's no payoff at the end, and, yeah, just yeah, just kind of a blah feeling for me. All right, so I went, I went into this movie um, yeah. like dreading it. Yeah, you were the most negative of the three yeah, of us. For the simple fact that it's the second biggest Kong that's ever been in a movie. Yes, there has been a bigger Kong, 147 feet in the 1962 film King Kong versus Godzilla. Um, I still don't know how Kong fits into this universe because I think at last check, the new Godzilla's 370-some feet tall. So, like, King Kong's going to come up to, like, his kneecap, maybe. So, I don't know exactly how that's going to work. But... And this is for perspective. The original King Kong, the original, he was 25 feet tall. So this King Kong is four times larger than that, over four times, because uh, he's 104 feet tall. Um, and that just—I mean, when you're when you're making things grotesquely out of proportion, um, then it becomes a concern to me because there's valid questions like, how do you eat? And the problem is, is they try to answer that question. <laughs> Yeah, and still don't do a very good job of it in the movie, and that that really I wish they would have just left it alone and let me wallow in my misery of, you know how insane this is, 
And but then they go out of the way to try to prove a point. Like, see, we do not understand. He would have to eat a lot of stuff. Okay, I get it. Uh, and then you're still wrong. Yeah, and as much as I I, I, I was giving you crap all week, just kind of messing with you about it, I had to agree totally with you. I'm like, why would you put that in the movie? Yeah. That's just dumb. Yeah, but but that being said, the first act and a half, two acts of this movie. I was sitting in my seat, literally shocked. I was like, this is good. Like, this is good. The interaction's good. The acting is good. The story's good. And then, and this isn't given away, but it's a definite point for me. When they get to the Valley with Bones in it, I'm not going to tell you whose bones. I'm not going to tell you anything. When they get to the Valley of Bones from that point, it's like the movie starts its descent. And it's not a, a slow descent into the ending to me it's like that tip over of a roller coaster and now you're on the vertical decline and the movie just barrels ahead right into the ground it never recovers no it does not and that saddened me because i up until that point i was happily surprised i was i was literally sitting there going this is great this is like part monster movie part war movie it's it's a lot of things going for it and then It just started hitting all the tropes of, you know, this kind uh, all of genre. The, all the tropes that I thought it was going They'd to avoided do. Up they avoided. You, you know, you're part. thinking, oh, they're just going to do all the Apocalypse Now shots because that's what we got in the trailer, right? And I thought, oh, that's going to be tropey and, and, you know. But they didn't. They really did it in a. It was cool in the beginning, you know. But it, I, I agree. I agree totally. Went off the rail. And and Adam made something. You made a great comment when we were standing outside the theater. You said, the problem is, is this King Kong, Godzilla, these type movies are Saturday afternoon serial movies. And they're made for like middle schoolers, early high schoolers, you know, kids that just love to just, you know, families can sit around and watch these. And you have them trying to make an, a more adult version of a King Kong movie. You know, they're, 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 you know, body parts are being ripped and you're seeing it. People are being eaten and, you, you know. Yeah, in this movie, I mean, Kong eats a person. Well, and, and some other animals tear a guy apart on screen. Yeah. I, I mean, that's when I grew up watching like old Kong movies or Godzilla movies, Godzilla did not put people in his mouth and eat them. You know, Kong did not put someone in his mouth and eat them. People were not getting torn apart. And it was, you know, yeah, it was a big, you know, a guy in a big rubber suit. But. You know, it was still fun to watch. And this is, yeah. I, I know Hollywood is getting into this thing where they're taking these more young audience oriented properties and kind of bumping up the, the gore level for an older audience. But it's just, you're missing out on what these were meant to we be. We don't need the be. gritty realism here because no. Kong can destroy people with smashes and footsteps that are largely bloodless. It's implied. You know what happened to the guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what happens in all kaiju movies. Yeah, absolutely. But I think they're missing the audience because when I watch this movie, I think about young boys in particular yeah. being able to sit in front of the TV, eat cereal in their PJs and lose their minds over these monster battles. But yet I think this movie's too gritty and it's playing to an older audience that I think they're just missing. Yeah, I agree totally. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to let my son watch this till what was it, PG-13? Yeah. So I'm probably not going to let him watch it till he's 13, at least, yeah. because people are getting torn apart on screen. And there's language in the movie. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, there's the one, you know, obligatory obligatory word that has to be in every PG (laughs) thirteen movie now to make a point. That I don't get. I, I mean, I appreciate that. You know, you have rules and the the standards board is, you know, if you have this, you can only say it once. But that doesn't mean you have to say it. But for that being said, it was because it was uttered by Riley. It it worked. It was the loudest the audience laughed the whole movie, I think, at that one particular junction. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you know, if they work... PG-13 movies work around that word, right? They try to put it in a place that they know it's going to have. They're like, because you know it's someone's <laughs> job to go, where do we put it? Where do we put it? Where will it fit best and have the most impact? And they they chose well, but there's you know, there wasn't any need in, for that. You take out the gore, you take out that word, you got a nice PG movie that I would... I would take a yeah. preteen boy to go see, and they would and lose his mind and over. lose his mind. Oh, You're right. because the fights are fun in this movie. The the monster mayhem is good. It's good great. special effects. Yes, yeah, well choreographed. It yeah. was mocap. I saw it. We stayed through the credits, so it was all mocap. But you could tell it was it was good stuff. Absolutely. No, the fights were really good. It's just it hits the valley with the the bones, and it plummets. So. Let's talk about the music. It's Vietnam era. It's good music. It's good music. I think the movie forced it. Uh, After the opening scenes? Mm -hmm. The opening scenes, I don't mind it. Later on, I think it forced it. Yeah, I agree with Matt. I thought the music was fine until about, at some point... All of a sudden, every time they were cut to a scene, they were putting a record on and pl- starting. Then, and I thought, okay, you're doing this a little too often, you know. I th- I did think it was forced, but not until like that second act, middle of the second act, somewhere in there. And these are all the songs you would guess if you're doing a checklist for music from the era. We have to include. You could probably nail all the songs that are in the movie. Yeah. So how does it stack up for you? We know we kind of discussed the recent Godzilla, but what about the Peter Jackson King Kong? How do you compare these two movies? The problem is I'm just not a all right. I like Godzilla. I like Godzilla movies. I have never really been a fan of King Kong movies. So I'm not a And a I was thinking judge. about this today. I, I mean I consider myself a Kong fan, but I only like the thirty three movie. I haven't liked any of them since I didn't like the Peter Jackson one. That's I mean, that's my favorite one. Well the very first the very first Kong movie I saw was the seventies, Jeff Bridges Kong, and I remember just loving it. Just blew my my nine year old, ten year old mind away, you know? Uh now I'd probably would look at it and say it's really cheesy and seventies ish, you know. But just loved it at the time. Then when I was in college, I I got to go back and see the 33 print um, and just loved it. I mean, just felt it became instantly my favorite Kong. It still is my favorite Kong. I've always been a Kong fan. I liked I think if they would have trimmed Peter Jackson's movie down to about two and a half hours instead of three hours and ten or whatever, I think I thought it had the potential. I liked Jack Black. I thought it was I thought it was a pretty decent attempt. It was just so stinking long. I mean, it drug on and on and on and on and on. I liked that he was trying to craft a story out of the Kong 
Much more story than was in this movie by far. Um, but the effects in this movie were great. Yeah, I, I don't know where I would put it. I don't know. I mean... Yeah, and I was doing that thinking myself because the Peter Jackson Kong felt like a little bit of fan fiction, like how a fan would handle it that we need a scene where they're trying to outrun dinosaurs on a collapsing cliff. That was just kind of pointless. And Sure, yeah. But Kong has always been a tragedy up until this movie because yeah. now he's heading to fight Godzilla, so... You know nothing's gonna happen to Kong in this yeah. movie. He's got it, it, it's always immunity. been a it's always been a Beauty and the Beast metaphor. Even yeah. the thirty three one was, you know, the famous line. It wasn't the fall that killed him. It was love or whatever that killed him. That that famous line from the from the original movie. But yeah, I I would say thirty three would be my number one, and then I don't know where I would put the next three, next four. I, I the thirty threes. Definitely my number one, um, and I'm just I it's I agree with Roger. I can't. There's not a, a an order after that point. It's just yeah. those are the other Kong movies that I don't like so much. <laughs> but you, you mentioned he's going to go fight Godzilla. How is this fight going to take place? The new <laughs> the new Godzilla is over 350 feet tall. This new King Kong is. 104 now, feet now, tall. Are we certain that he's going to fight Godzilla or will he help? Will they team up and work together to fight off the other kings around the earth? They might team up. Let me. Because, I, I caught this during the movie, and this isn't a spoiler, but didn't John C. Riley say that Kong is a good king and he's still growing? Yes. They did. He so did. there's a passage of time because this is Vietnam and Godzilla's modern era. So yes. by the time, I don't know how much bigger he'll be. Not yeah. 380 feet or whatever, but and he might be. It bigger. almost made him out like he was an adolescent because he, he said his, you know, about his parents and, you know, he was the last of his kind and he's still growing. So yeah, he could be a couple hundred, 300 feet. I don't think he's going to triple in size. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, you know. But yeah, but my question is, how does he survive an atomic breath blast from Godzilla? You think it would just oh, yeah. blow a hole in his chest? I got a word for you. He doesn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not a fair fight. No. no, not at all. No, Godzilla needs to fight aliens with scales that can deflect those kind of attacks. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so what do you think? What's your thoughts on the on on Kong Skull Island? It's okay. Um, I mean, I left the theater disappointed. My hype level wasn't huge. I walked in thinking, I hope this is good. I mean, that was the mindset I was in and I still left kind of disappointed. So, I mean, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah. I, I went in positively thinking, Oh, I want this to be good. I, I like this kind of movies. I love the monster movies. Just let it be good, you know? But I kind of walked out thinking, uh, you know, not really that good. Uh, there were some good points to the movie. There were some good things about the movie. John C. Riley was great. Some of the effects were great. The battle scenes were great. The sound in the theater, we were in the big screen, you know, was great. Um, but there were some really bad in this movie as well, too. And so I walked out going, yeah, you know, I, I'm, yeah, a little disappointed as well, too. So that's kind of where I fall. If I was going to go see a kaiju movie or a big monster movie i'd much rather watch godzilla again um i i just i liked it better wasn't a fan okay so the next movie we're getting is godzilla 2 
and I'm excited because it's directed by Mike Doherty, who did Trick or Treat and Krampus, and I love both those movies. And it's his first time directing a budget of this size. Um, I don't think Kong's in Godzilla 2. I think they'll be meeting in a later movie. I mean, maybe Kong shows up at the end of that one. I don't know. Mm. We don't know anything about it yet. Yeah. But that's the next movie in the GCU. I wonder if the whole reason this thing was set in the 70s is to give Kong time to grow till modern day with Godzilla. It has to be, yeah. Matt. <laughs> if he goes to 300 feet tall, he would need 300,000 pa- pounds of food a day. Or magic bananas. <laughs> Do you realize that 102,000 pounds of food a day equals 400,000 bananas? I said magic bananas, and those magic bananas are Roger's idea. It is a magical island. No, it's an island that time forgot. It's where God didn't finish creation, Roger. That's That's what I learned in this movie. Okay. All right, so the normal vote at the end of the movie, is this going to become a TFC Recommends title? I'll start with Matt. No. Roger? No. And I'm the third no on this one, which is the first unanimous no we've ever had, I think. Yep. Yeah. <sighs> okay. <laughs> on that bummer of a note, <laughs> any, right. anything else to say? Uh, fingers crossed for Godzilla 2. I like the first one, and I'm excited to see Mike Doherty direct it. He's from Columbus. Oh, so nice. a local guy. Yeah. Well, we will take a break and be right back. So we're back, and last week you may have heard me tease a little bit that I had something cool coming up about Liza the Fox Fairy, which is a movie I saw at Fantastic Fest two years ago, and I've been kind of championing since. The cool thing is I had the chance to do a Skype interview with David Sakurai. He plays the Japanese ghost in the movie. David was very kind. We had a good interview, and we're going to jump to it here in a second. I just want to explain kind of why it jumps into the middle. We were doing some pre-show stuff, just talking about what we're going to promote and all that. And the conversation was going so well about Fantastic Fest. I was like, oh, crap, let me just hit record and we'll just go. I didn't want to stop the interview and then do a fresh start. Yeah, you, you'll We had know, such a flow going. Yeah, You'll know from now on, whenever you call these people, hit record right from the beginning, right? We had a disconnect. Like, it didn't go through oh, at first. Yeah. I turned it off and then we talked and we were just doing the pre-show stuff. And like I said... We hit it off. We're having a great conversation. I I just did not want to interrupt it. So, Adam, for our listening audience, explain, give them a quick uh, um, thing about what is Liza the Fox Fairy. Maybe they didn't listen. We've talked about it on previous episodes. Yeah. But maybe if you're just checking us out for the first time, what's this movie about? It's a Hungarian film about a nurse that's obsessed with Japanese culture. It takes place in the 70s, and she thinks she's a fox fairy, which is a Japanese creature of lore that lures men to the woods and they die tragic deaths because everyone she dates drops dead. I've described this as a romantic final destination. It's funny. It has great pop music. It feels like a Wes Anderson or Jeannot or a Gondry type of film. Cool. So without further ado, here's my interview with David. I know. I'm 
we didn't and we didn't meet at Fantastic Fest, right? No, we didn't. No. Oh man, yeah, I was there for oh, the, the second week, I think. Yeah, it was the second the second screening? I was there. There was a bit of confusion because they thought I was going to be there for the first screening, and I wasn't able to make it until the second. But man, what a reception! Yeah, they it loved was it. really great. You guys got <laughs> the audience award. I know, I know. It was it was, it was really amazing, and that you know. I wasn't a because I've been living um I've been living in uh in LA for a while and um I wasn't able to go to Europe when it uh when it first premiered. So my first time seeing it with an audience was actually uh with you guys in uh, Fantastic Fest. So that was quite an experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean they absolutely loved it. Overwhelming, man. Overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no it, it was really really amazing and uh you know I think from that from the response at Fantastic Fest to, you know, the other festivals and for it going to Japan, you know, all this word of mouth, was, we're so grateful for that. And you're in Denmark now? Right now I'm in Denmark. I, you know, I'm, I'm half Danish. Half okay. my family's here in Denmark, half my family's in, uh, in Japan. And I'm living equally uh, between Los Angeles and Copenhagen okay. these days. So I am a big bit back and forth. Um, yeah, but I grew up here and I grew up in Denmark. How's the, uh, how's the film industry doing over there? I, I mean, it seems like they're doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems like they're doing pretty well, you know, like, uh, considering the smaller country that it is, I mean, uh, they're making quite an impact on the international scene these days and have been doing like for the last couple of years also, uh, on TV, you know, like. Uh, the bridge and the killing and all that stuff. <laughs> I was gonna say uh, we call it clown with a. Frank- oh yeah, well yeah, that's my favorite too. <laughs> yeah, I actually got that uh, the whole series here recently from Draft House, the same people that put on Fantastic Fest. Uh, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I th- you know, I think I just read that they're coming out with a new show and they're making a new season, so nice. it's great. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that show as well. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah, no, so, um, yeah, um, um, but to be honest, I'm, most of my work I do outside of Denmark. And uh, Life of the Fox Ferry was, for me, one of the first on, you know, like, the more international scene of, of Europe. And that was Hungarian, obviously. Um, what's it like working That was in? Hungarian. In, in Budapest? Yeah. Yeah, um, it was an amazing experience. Um, it was... It was just one of those opportunities that just comes out of the blue, and you know, it, it was it was so random. Um, I got on, I got attached very late to the project. They, um, the director, Kali, had been working on this project for years, actually trying to get it made, based on a, originally a stage play, and then later on they um, they wrote it into a feature film. But it was it was in development for a long, long time. It was uh, truly a passion project of his, and um, I believe that they had tried to cast it like stateside. They had tried to cast it in Japan. Um, it just everything just wasn't coming together. So in the end, at one at one point, they had a a, a co producer from Scandinavia that didn't turn out in the end, but. But that's why they started looking around in Scandinavia if there, if there were any Asian actors. 
and there aren't that many uh to this day we're only like a handful of asian actors okay, here in denmark so um yeah it's very interesting and i'm the only one with a you know with a japanese background so <laughs> so i was lucky to uh get the call to to come do an audition in hungary and uh you know, a couple of weeks later, I was I was in Budapest, ready to shoot and taking dancing lessons, singing lessons, and you know, how did they the way. <laughs> how did they pitch the movie to you? Because it's a strange movie, you know. With it you, is. You're playing. It's set in the '70s, and you're playing a dead ghost of a '50s Japanese pop singer. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and it's like a romantic it's, final destination, is how I've told people that I feel like. Exactly. You, Exactly like that. So, <laughs> that's how he pitched it. That's how he pitched it. Oh, right. <laughs> and I was like, what? I was like, okay. And I read the script and I was like, this is so absurd. And, you know, the, yeah, the, like I said, it's, it's truly been his passion project. So everything was in the script. Everything was in the, in the, on the page. Every little single detail. The character was really there already. But, you know, to to envision it coming to life was like really hard. And, you know, that was also one of the children, why I really, really wanted to be a part of that project because it was just so absurd. And the character that I got to portray was just like something you, that had, you know, it doesn't, those kind of characters don't come my way very, very often. It's <laughs> a kind of movie. It was, it's fun. And, exciting, and the artistic ambitions and stuff like that. It was just, there was so much there. And, um, and it was just one of those projects. You know, I, you know, I had to say to him right away. I really, really would love to be a part of his vision and to help make this universe come to life. <laughs> and that was his first movie, right? His first feature film. Feature, he had, feature, yeah. Yes, yes. He had done a bunch of short films that had uh, done pretty well on the international festival scene, and actually, on one of his shorts. If, believe the story is correct he went to japan with one of the shorts and that's where he got the inspiration for more of the the, the material that that ended up in lisa the, the the fox fairy lore um japanese mythology and uh and his passion for for uh for the, the that era of japanese music also came from from his trips over there was the music already done by the time you were on the project Yes, they were. They were. It was already done, almost done. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I was able to like to get a feel of the character through through the the songs that had already been produced and stuff like that. But yeah, it was it was almost there already. They, like I said, they had really been working on this for, for a long time, and the final the final thing they just needed was the character of Tomitani. Okay, and they already had the turquoise suit ready for you to go. No, no, <laughs> they had the they had the cut for it, but uh, uh. The, the color came after I was cast. <laughs> really? <laughs> and then we decided on the glasses together. Okay. But that was that was that was it for my decisions. <laughs> yeah, because that uh, but, uh, that but, color is something else, especially in light of the movie. Because the movie's kind of her apartment's kind of dark. I know. A lot of brown and neutral colors. So that suit really stands out. But like I said, you know, like it was such a treat to be a part of that because it was it was so meticulous. All the details, all the colors, all the, all the palettes there, you know, like every single character's color of wardrobe and, you know, the, the changes of Liza, you know, like it was it was all there. So for me, it was a it was a huge experience to seeing this. To see Kali like uh, emerge as this kind of 
artistic director, you know, like, and to be a part of that. Yeah. And I read too, that it was shot for about 1.7 million. Is that true? Do you know? <clears throat> I don't know. I'm not, I, I can't, I don't know, but I don't know about the numbers exactly, yeah. but yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was a lower budget and they were really able to pull some strings. Um, we actually shot it in 2012. Oh, so yeah. So it took a while because they had to do the, you know, a lot of the post-production was, you know, the VFX and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. No, it has a lot of really good special effects actually. And then the time that they wanted to launch us as well was also important. So yeah, it it took a while and I was just eagerly waiting for for it to come out, you know, especially, you know, I've been living in Tokyo for, for close to 10 years and um you know I, I had a feeling that it would connect and i was really hoping and praying that it would connect with the japanese audience i thought it was just much more than than for the hungarian audience you know and it turned out that you know it, it became a huge hit in hungary yes i think it became the biggest uh local uh box office success that year I mean, Son of Saul got all the, got all the critical acclaim, but it was really Lies of the Fox Fairy that um, that uh, that won over the audience there. Yeah, there's articles written that you can actually measure by population percentage how many people saw Lies of the Fox Fairy in Hungary. Uh, it's crazy, and it's a shame that I haven't been back to Hungary since. I definitely need to go soon, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it, it just it took a while when it came out, but but. Uh, when it eventually came out, you know, it played at some festivals. Fantastic Fest was one that I was really hoping that it would end up at. I had never been to Fantastic Fest before. I always wanted to go. And, um, you know, from that response, went to, uh, eventually went to Japan yeah. for some festivals. And luckily got picked up by a distributor and actually got played in theaters uh, all over the country in Japan. So it was, they, they took it in as their own, you know, like they, they claimed it because of all the Japanese references and stuff like that. So I was able to go on a press tour over there. It was just, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a really amazing journey. Well, yeah, the movie involves a fox fairy, a creature from lore in Japan. Is that a pretty known, well-known creature or is that a little more obscure? Uh, well, yeah, no, it is. And they actually have a whole whole city devoted to that lore you know like where you can go and buy like uh small uh what do you call gadgets <laughs> you know like keychains and stuff like that and uh people go and you know, they have the whole this whole forest where they say that mythology came from you know okay yeah yeah it's no it's definitely a part of of japanese uh folklore and uh and I think there were so many other references that it was just directly taken from from Japanese culture that, and in a very uh, in a very respectful way. Of course, the movie plays it's, it's very playful, but I thought it was just very respectful in in the way it portrayed everything about Japan. Sure. And uh, you know that was also one of my you know concerns was that you know am I able to live up to that as well? But uh, but the Japanese audience seemed to take it in in a positive way so we're all happy <laughs> well that's what i'm trying to do here is just to raise awareness of the movie because it only played a couple film festivals i don't know why it's not out on amazon or itunes or any kind of vod here i so, don't know man I, I don't know i wasn't uh able to get in touch with uh, Kali before our, our talk here but i will definitely ask him maybe you should have a 
talk with him as well. Yeah, I'd love to. But, uh, Every month I try but, uh, to do something about Lisa the Fox Fairy just to keep it out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I would love to get it out to a North American audience. I, I don't know. I don't know what the delay is, but I think uh, it would be very fitting right now with, uh, you know, in the vein of La La Land and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah <definitely>. you know. <laughs> um so uh yeah yeah it, well it is a kind of it's a, it's kind of a musical right but it's yeah. also so much more and, it's really uh, unique that's why that's why i keep pushing it. i've never seen anything quite like that movie i know and i know i know it's just a very positive message overall in the movie and you know i think it's one of those feel-good movies that you know yeah that don't make you uh that don't make you what do you call it nauseous <laughs> you know so uh yeah I'm, I'm really really proud of it i would love to get it out i really appreciate that you're you're interested in it i was like so surprised to 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 get your mail i was like okay wow okay <laughs> fighting That's the good amazing. fight oh man really really appreciate it really appreciate it well, are there any yeah, upcoming I mean, projects or anything else you'd like to tell our audience about um let's see um well well, speaking of Fantastic Fest, I, you know, uh, the great thing about that, that the festival is that you get to see so many films from upcoming filmmakers, and and uh, and I got I I didn't actually see the film. I don't know if you're aware of it. A movie called Baskin. Yes. Yes. Did you see it? Yeah, I did, and I I feel bad. I looked up to see if the bad guy was in makeup. <laughs> Because he, oh, right. no, he had no. such a unique look to him. Right, right, right. Uh, so the director, John Embrono, um, I wasn't able to see it at the festival because I think we were playing like at the same time on movies. But I got to share a van back to the airport going to LA with, with John and, and his crew. And we started talking about everything not movie-related, martial arts. He's a big martial arts. Uh, he has a huge interest in that, and I also have a long background in martial arts, so we we shared our interest in that in the van, and uh, and then uh, exchanged contacts, and then I think he went directly to the the Korean Film Festival, and there he saw Lies of the Fox Fair, and he wrote me later, like, dude, is that you? I mean, is that you? That yeah, that's me, and he, he was so shocked to see me in that role, and uh, one thing led to another, and. Six months later, we had a meeting at, at the Berlin Film Festival exactly a year ago, and he pitched me a project um, called The Housewife, okay, which is his English-language debut, and that was all based of our meeting, short meeting at Fantastic Fest, and we just wrapped that film. He's in post-production on it now, so I just want to give a shout-out to the whole Fantastic fam. And say thank you because you know it's such a rare opportunity to meet like like-minded people, and uh, you know that festival, uh, you know, ended up hooking me and John together, and uh, uh, hopefully, you know, everyone's gonna be enjoying that movie pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, any chance it plays yeah. Fantastic Fest? That'd be great to have you guys come back. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. But the time, I don't know. I don't know about the timing, but I'm crossing yeah. fingers. I would love to go back there with John. That would be yeah. really, really amazing. But yeah, so we just wrapped that. Um, uh, for everyone watching Netflix, I can't say much, but uh, I hope, you know, even if you uh, have an interest in Lies of the Fox Ferry or if you just 
interested in Marvel in general, I um, I'll be popping up in Marvel's Iron Fist. Oh, really? March nice. 17. Yeah. So March 17, all episodes out on Netflix. Yeah, binge worthy. Yes, very much. And I'm a huge, huge comic book fan, and I've been since I was a little kid. So I'm just truly, truly honored to be part of that. And uh, what else? Yeah, right now we're just um, um, I'm uh, you know I'm also creating a lot of my own projects, so I'm, I'm deep into that right now. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a bunch of different a variety of projects, you know. Like it's it's Lies of the Fox Fairy was a very hard follow up for me because you know how do you follow up a character like that, right? Right. <laughs> and if, if that's the first time an audience sees me, they're gonna be like, "What the? What is he onto?" <laughs> So, um, so yeah, I've been, it's been, uh, it's been a variety of projects since Lies of the Fox Fairy. Okay. And, and then audiences yeah. could also see you in, oh, the name's escaping me, the Lilyhammer, right? You were in season three. That's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I pop up in season three of Lilyhammer. <laughs> yep. I'm in season three of that. And, uh, yeah, you know. I mean, uh, I think it just came out on DVD in the States, or it's coming out very soon. Um, it's a Japanese-American co-production called Karate Kill. Japanese director, Kuranto Mitsutake. Um, we shot it on, in L.A. with a Japanese crew. Um, he directed his previous movie, was called Gun Woman. And, uh, you know, it's Karate Kill is just a throwback to all the, you know, good old, like, Sonny Chiba action movies and uh yeah I'll, I'll, I'm, I'll i have a little cameo in that as well nice so you see a different mode action mode <laughs> <laughs> get the whole package out there for people exactly exactly <laughs> but uh yeah i mean i'm i'm truly excited that that there's still an interest in lies of the fox fairy and i really really hope that we can get it out to a north american audience well that's my mission at this uh, point I, I was in la last year or a festival promoting it. Yeah, it came out in LA last year and uh, at the American Cinematheque, and then I didn't follow it afterwards. I kind of thought that oh, maybe it's going to end up on Netflix or Amazon or something like that. So uh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, but uh, oh, go ahead. But it, it's uh, sorry, it's but it's not in Denmark either. You know, <laughs> oh, man. so you're not missing. It's I don't think it has been released in Scandinavia at all. So. But um, but in Japan, it, it's uh, it, it Japan it had a, it got a huge response. So I mean, the whole Japanese audience can't be wrong. So I hope no, I hope no, they can't. people go look out for it. <laughs> All right. Well, I really appreciate you taking some time to talk with us today. Absolutely, Adam. Absolutely, and I hope you get a chance to talk to Kali or 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 Muni. You know? Yeah, I'd love to. Lisa herself. <laughs> get her her words out to an american audience would be great yeah well i will try all right man all right well have a good one thanks for getting in touch and uh you know very nice work that you guys are doing at film cuttery uh i look forward to see more of it all right thanks great great podcast by the way oh i just caught up on your your john wick episode oh thank you well we're just getting started so (laughs) working on some case but you're our first great work man yeah Thank you. All right. All right. right. Take care. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you very much. Have a great day.
All right, we're back, and we're going to do our movie homework. So this is a segment where we assign movies to each other that we haven't seen, and then we kind of just give our quick takes on it and maybe have a little more in-depth discussion if the movie warrants it. So this week I'll start with Matt. I gave Matt his assignment, and it was the comedy Don't Think Twice. Yes. What do you want me to say about it? I, okay. I, Are you a fan of Berbiglia before you saw the movie? Yeah, yeah. I was. I've been aware. All right. So back growing up, um, all of the radio programs. You know, when I was in college and working a little bit, um, all kind of sold off and get to syndication. And the best one was what Bob and Tom, and Berbiglia was on there often talking about yeah. his issues with sleepwalking and whatnot and um so i i became familiar with him and familiar with his comedy so um and to be honest and this is my shortcomings i didn't realize he was writing and directing uh when you gave me this i didn't even i didn't even realize burbigley was doing movies and i found out he wrote and directed this and starred in it yeah and his other movie is sleepwalk with me that makes sense yes so Excuse me. Um, do you mean go a little synopsis on yeah, what this you don't is? Mind. I mean, yeah. I, I kind of told him it's an improv movie. Yeah, in New York. So essentially, it is uh, about a uh, improv group called the Commune. Uh, they're a small improv group in New York City, um, and it's about their relationships as they're essentially trying to make it in the comedic world. Uh, there's a show, I believe it's called Weekend Live, that everyone wants to get on. It's, and their, it's their Saturday Night yeah, Live. Yeah, it's their Saturday Night Live. And the commune, this is kind of like, you know, Second City out of Chicago. I mean, because that's been a feeding ground for Saturday Night Live and other things. So it's it's that whole, you know, it's, it's kind of mimicking real life, right? Berbigley didn't step out and, I mean, this is how things work. And it's what happens to those relationships if some of them make it and some of them don't, or some of them choose not to make it. Um, and just how those interactions continue and what happens with those friendships uh, and how it just progresses, you know, how people grow up and maybe grow out of that or, or, or you know, along those lines. So um, I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it had a lot more meat on its bones than just a comedy movie. I mean, cause here's the weird thing. It's almost like a drama about comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a comedy movie. It's a drama about comedy. And I, I appreciated that. Um, I will say because it's improv and things like that, you know how I get with embarrassing scenes in movies there was a couple times i was like i need to look away um but i made it through and i thought uh i mean i i just enjoyed it um jillian jacobs plays samantha i thought she was really good in it um and i'm trying to find his name right now <laughs> chris gethard i thought was great i, I don't know why i i just his character, how he was in the movie, the writing for him from Burbiglia was awesome. 
I knew it was a good movie when I got done. I watched all the other special features on the movie. So Burbigly about writing it, how they did all the improv, how a bunch of people, um, how they wrote new lines for it. And they actually made them do improv. I mean, they actually made them get together and do improv. And a lot of these people had not done improv before. So, uh, that, I mean, that takes, that takes some guts. The thing I like most about the movie is it feels really authentic. It only, does. only a comedian could have written this movie to show this slice of life and what they go through <clears throat> in their profession. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I think it, I think it, it, it does feel authentic from all the interviews and, and talks I've always heard with comedians you know, aside from the improv where everyone's like, we got your back and you know, it's, we have to be in this frame of mind as a whole to make things work. But when they're watching other comedians out, they're like, I I really hope you bomb, which I, I've universally heard from a lot of comedians, like nothing is better for them than to watch another one of their fellow comedians totally bomb on stage. And they love it. Uh, but I, you know, it's a kind of a, a, as people may find that perverse, but I mean, if you do this for a living, you want to see those times where people just fail because no one's going to stop at this level. They're not going to be like, well, I bombed one night. I'm out of here. And you know, it's just taking your lumps and it's like being a part. Of, it's like hazing without actually having to do the hazing to be a part of this group. So, um, I know it's, I mean, it's a newer movie, right? How- it came out this summer. This past yeah, I don't want to give too much away about what actually happens because, uh, I mean, it's available out there. You can rent it uh, four ninety nine or something like that. But, um, but it just follows those relationships if one of the people makes it. And, uh, and the thing to me is normally in something like this, you'll have a person. And this is why I thought it was more genuine. You will have a person make it and they turn out to not actually try to help their friends. Or maybe they do and they get crapped on or whatever. But in this, it's it's kind of balancing the expectations of everyone else. I Pull me up with you versus him actually genuinely trying to help some of them out, but feeling bad that some of them are, he can help some, but not all. And it's, and the weird infighting that will go along with that and, you know, people end up screaming at other people. You're not funny at all. You're just not good enough. And, um, and I, I really liked it. I, I liked it a lot. And I actually thought this was good enough the first time I saw it that, I mean, Berbiglia could have taken this to series. If this was an ongoing series with these characters over a longer span in New York and everything else going on, I think it'd actually make a good show too. No, I think it would. I think it would. There would be a, probably a lot more moments I'd have to look away, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, no, I, I, I think it's, I think it was really good. I think key was good in it. Uh, like I said, I thought Jillian Jacobs was good in it. Burbigley was good and get hard. I thought on a lot of the scenes just stole it, but that's just me. I mean, the first time you see him, he walks in and he's completely naked and he's like, what? I thought we were all wearing the same clothes tonight out on stage. And he just shows up naked. <laughs> Like wanting the other guys to get naked. And they, I mean, just completely like pan delivery. Just like, what? I thought we were all dressing the same tonight. And I will say, too, in the audience, if you watch this movie, don't think twice and you like it. There's a show on HBO right now I'm really enjoying called Crashing. 
with Pete Holmes, the comedian. And it's following him as he's just failing in New York. And he crashes on famous comedians' couches. Artie Lang in the first episode, TJ Miller in the next. And it's been a blast. So I really enjoy crashing. And if you like Jillian Jacobs, she's on a Netflix show called Love, where she plays a very damaged individual. It's a comedy. It's an almost unromantic comedy. Things just don't go well, but she's great on there. And the second season is actually coming out tomorrow. Okay. And I'll probably binge the whole thing over the weekend. And that's the Judd Apatow produced, right? Yep. Yeah. Paul Rust and her. Yep. It's Absolutely. called Love. I love I love Love. So it'll be on yeah. Netflix tomorrow and I'll probably be binging it over the weekend. All right. Awesome. That's cool. So nice. my movie that Roger gave me was The Third Man. The Third Man. I had no idea the song was from this movie that's played on the zither. <laughs> you hear it over and over and over again in the in the trailer and in the movie. Yep. What song? We may have to play it in the podcast. Yeah, I'll make a note and see if I can throw it in there. All right. Just kind of think. It's not the Curb Your Enthusiasm song, but it's kind of a little jingle yeah. played on the zither. That it, as soon yeah. as you hear it, you'll think like that's in a million commercials. Yep, absolutely. So this might be one of the best looking movies I've ever seen. It is. It's black and white. This didn't invent the Dutch angle, but it really used it well. Yeah. For those that you don't know, the Dutch angle is slightly askew. Yep. Framing and on close-ups and stuff like that. And just the black and white shots in this movie are absolutely incredible. You can feel the when the stones are there and they're wet, you can almost feel like you're walking on them, you know? And the play of light and dark. Oh. There's so much shadow in this movie where it's absolute shadow. Yeah. But maybe you see shoes. Yep. You know, and stuff like that. And it's just such a beautiful movie to look at. Yeah. So why did you give me this movie? I just, I'm curious. I think I have an idea. Well, um, for, for one, you know, I have this, I have this Hall of Fame in my head of movies that I think every human being should watch before you die, kind of a deal. And The Third Man is in my top ten of those movies. You know, I I, I just, I, I wanted to see, and I shouldn't even, I should have known that you would say this. I wanted to see if you actually saw and appreciated the craft of what this movie was being made. You know, um, to me, it's one of those, dare I say, well, Roger Ebert called it a perfect movie, okay, um, now I know Rotten Tomatoes is a, 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 people are going back and looking back, but it's a hundred percent. You know, I, I don't know of any top one hundred film list on the internet that doesn't have this movie. It's always in there, so it's it's just one of those great movies, and it really kind of shows Orson Welles in a in a light that is not the brooding, you know, a lot of people watch this movie and they're shocked when they see a young Orson Welles because maybe they didn't see Citizen Kane, you know, and they're sh- kind of shocked. And, and you know, and Orson Welles is one of the stars in it as well as, I mean, Joe Cotton was, was Joseph Cotton's in this. It's directed by Carol Reed. Graham Greene, the Nobel laureate for prize winner, writer, wrote that wrote it, you know. So it's got this amazing cast of people that come together, but Orson Welles calls this a star a star making role because it's one of those deals where he doesn't show up until like I don't know a good way into the movie, but he's always being talked about. So when he shows up, it's like there's a presence for him showing up, kind of a deal. And so I just I was kind of hoping I was first I was shocked you had not seen this movie, 
Yeah, no, guilty, <laughs> guilty as charged. And, and I, I was like, on my oh, list. my gosh, he hasn't seen The Third Man? Okay, you're watching The Third Man. And it's just one of those great, just, you know, Vertigo is another movie that to me is a near-perfect movie that shot visually and story and the characters and the stuff that's in it. Um, but I wanted – it's the one movie that I think you can appreciate the medium of black and white – and I wanted to see if you caught, you know, you had, and immediately the first thing you said was, you know, the Dutch angle where they kind of skew, and then the, a lot of the framing too, where they put bars right in front of them too, and then they skew the background. Um, I just some cool shots visually. It's just, it's just a masterpiece of a movie, and I wanted you to, no one reason, I just wanted you to experience it, and see if you kind of, kind of felt the same way I did, you know, when I watched it. So, and it's a film noir. I mean, yes. the general gist is you have the main character showing up. He's been invited to Vienna. And and, and just just in case our, our audience doesn't... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on you here. If you don't know what noir is, noir is usually there's a guy in a foreign country who's down on his luck, down to his last penny, that gets pulled into an adventure bigger than himself, some kind of mystery, some kind of murder, some kind of a whodunit kind of a deal. And that's exactly what the third man is, you know. And I always think of Noir, the old pulp detective. Yes. I'm, I'm in my office late at night, and then Trouble walks through the door, and she's exactly. wearing heels. Yep. <laughs> and and what did you think of the closing scene of this movie? It's one of the most iconic, one of the most talked about closing scenes in, in movies where the funeral is over, and he stops, and he gets out, and you wonder whether they're going to have a Casablanca kind of moment here. And she walks right by him and never acknowledges him. It's a long scene. It's a very long very take. Long. You're yeah. watching this lady come down an entire road. So it's, it's really just playing with the audience because the whole time you're, you're wondering, is she going to stop and talk to him? What's going to happen here? And it's not what you think. Yeah. But what I loved about this movie, it's noir. Uh, the main character shows up in Vienna. He's been invited by his friend for a job. Yeah. It's not really clear what it is. Nope. And his friend has just been killed hours before. Yep. Freak accident in the street. Two men dragged him out, but he hears tale of a third man that may have dragged the guy out of the street. The <laughs> stories are not lining up. The authorities are acting fishy, and they suspect him on some other activities. So there's a lot going on, but just the cinematography in this movie. They do a lot of really long shots. Yep. My favorite shot in the whole movie is there's a sting, and you see a shadow on a wall. Just coming down the street from a very Dude, long distance away. That's great. Or how about some of the chase scenes? I mean, in the sewers. And, yeah, yeah, and and see, see, originally, Carol Reed wanted to shoot this whole movie in studio, and they said no way. You know, I think um, who, was David Oselznik? Did he produce this? I'm trying I to remember. Know. I'm trying to remember somewhere I read something about one of the producers fought to actually have it done in Vienna in in this whole area. And so, I mean, they had that post-war look was already there. You know, those the the bricks, the rubble in the street, those kind of things. The you know. bridges, the rivers, the really yes. gothic architecture. Yes. And so, oh, the lighting and just just the the organic feel. If 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 nobody, if you say to me, you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, Roger, I can't stand black and white. Just watch The Third Man. Just give it a chance. Watch it and see. And maybe... Now, not all movies can pull this off in black and white. like that, But it's just... I don't know. I just think it's a masterpiece. So, yeah. yeah. No, thank you for signing. I really liked it. Awesome. Well, that's cool. I'm, I, I appreciate it. 
All right, so we're down to our last movie, and this one's a doozy. It is. This is Donnie Darko, which Matt assigned to Roger. I did. I found out he didn't watch it. I told Roger this movie, for better or worse, holds a special place in my heart because this was the first movie. I grew up sheltered. My hometown had a two-screen movie you know, theater that only showed whatever was the most popular thing. So I never got to see much growing up and I got older and got exposed to this. And I was like, wow, there is a whole nother world of cinema out here and just started gobbling up as much weird stuff as I could. So, uh, without saying too much, Roger, there are no spoilers in this. You can talk about as much as you want. (laughs) This movie came out in 2001. Yeah. Um, like a couple months after 9-11. Yes. Uh, so what do you think? Well, you know, I, I think I sent you a text. I started watching it, and I sent you a text about three minutes into it, and I was like, is this a horror movie? Because right. <laughs> when Frank first shows up, holy mackerel, I was in a basement by myself. And it was during the day, but I was still by myself, and I was like, Oh, this is really creepy. And Frank... It's creepy. Yeah. But not horror. But it's not horror. No, it's not horror at all. I will say this. I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Really liked the movie. Is it a perfect movie? It's far from a perfect movie. But I will say this. I know why you really like this movie. Because it, knowing Matt Upton, it hits all of your buttons. It, it hits does. all of you. It, it's like, you know, there are supernatural elements to it there's time travel elements to it there are parallel world elements to it um there's a strangeness to it you know yeah there's um uh the jake uh gyllenhaal character he who plays donnie darko he's kind of He's kind of just there. He's out there a little bit, you know, and you're kind of wondering the whole time is what's up with his, is he kind of like, he's on the verge of going over the edge kind of thing, you know, Oh yeah. Uh, you know, and so, um, I liked a lot. I liked, I liked this movie. The, the, the one thing, and I don't, I don't want to be negative. I'm going to say up front, I really, I'm glad I saw this movie, right? Because, like you said, this is a whole new side of this is a whole different side of film craft. This is a whole different. This lets you know there's this isn't your run of the mill. I mean, if you said that 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 the the antagonist was going to be a giant bunny rabbit that was were Halloween kind of scary freaking mask or whatever that was like going to stalk him and talk in a devil voice all the stuff you'd be like, okay, that's strange, you know. But yeah, he's he's. Frank is driving him, you know, and pushing him and stuff. And so I liked all of these elements of this movie. The thing that disappointed me about the movie is they could have hit a home run with this movie, but they didn't bring it home in the end. There's no, what was the ultimate point of the movie? What, where did this movie ultimately? I'm going to have to disagree here. Yeah, I thought it wrapped up great. The ultimate point of the movie was Donnie sacrificed himself to save everybody. Because the prominent theory... I mean, because this is a movie that lends itself to theories about what's going on, right? Right. One theory, the one I like the best, is that... So the moment... The moment when Donnie wasn't in bed to get killed. Right. Okay when he should have created a tangential universe. Yes. And which and is discussed in the book they yes. talk about the the philosophy of time travel. 
And most of this story takes place in the TU, the tan. Yes. Yeah, it t- takes place in the tangential. Yes. And Frank, who's an individual who gets killed in the tangential universe, is actually what the book refers to as a manipulated dead. So his entire purpose is to manipulate Donnie to get back with the, the object because through the insurance trap. Which is what it's called in the. I mean, I, I know this is pretty deep if, if people have never watched it. But for those of you who don't know, there's a book in the movie called The Philosophy of Time Travel right, right. that lays out the experience that Donnie is having. Right. Because he's created this tangential universe. Which makes it sound like this has happened before. Well, yes, because one of the theories, and the one I like the best, is the fact that. What Donnie did was create this tangential universe that was a loop, just kept repeating over and over and over again. And the only way to get out of this loop was for Donnie to die. And he finally came to that, it's time for me to die. And he saves everybody. And he saves everybody, breaks them all out of the loop. They all come out. And by him sacrificing himself, there's some great scenes. There's the scene where Donnie is in the movie theater with Frank. And he's like, Frank, why don't you ever take off your mask? And he takes off his mask and he looks over and he stabbed. Well, has was, the bullet hole, has the bullet. Well, there's a scene where Donnie kind of stabs at his eye. In the loop theory, Donnie stabbed Frank's eye out more than the, I mean, he knew about it. Cause when you see him look at him, you see his eye mess up. He kind of looks back and like gives a smirk. Like, Yes. I did that to your eye. <laughs> I mean, there's like, this is a movie you could, I, I've seen, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this movie. So I own the regular version on Blu-ray. I own the director's cut. I've seen it a ton. And it's one that every time I watch it, there's something new I pick up on in it. Yeah. So I, I totally, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I just didn't know. I just didn't know. It didn't make, I don't know. For some reason it was like, so he reset the original timeline by dying at the yes. end. Yeah, he reset it because then the and girl then why goes did by. His, he never met her. And he, then, but why did his girlfriend have that deja vu where they wave to each other, like they acknowledge the mother and the girlfriend waved at each other? What's that about? Why does it would, say that there's not residual? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. But it, he never it, met his girlfriend at that point. It, it's it's obviously a movie that would benefit from multiple viewings. Yes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I just watched it the one time um, and I enjoyed it. I I just kind of was like, I thought they would have maybe, you know, why did he grab her and run? Why did he take the dead, his dead girlfriend out out of the, out of the city and stop and look at everything going on? And I mean, I don't know why, did he have to realize, did he have to see it and realize what he had to do actually? I, I, I mean, listen, I watched it the like I said the reason this holds a special place in my heart is I watched it the first time and realized I can't grasp this movie in one sitting. I, I no I I, I yeah there are themes there are things going on that I I just am incapable of getting on the first viewing and that is what blew my mind because before it was like I watch a movie I sit down for 2 hours I enjoy it or I don't enjoy it I walk out that's it done. And then I watched Darko was like I don't I know I like it, 
But I, I really don't have any idea if I know what just happened. I, I, I felt the exact same way. And I, and I just kept watching it again and again and again. And like I said, that's why it holds this special place. Yeah. It was the first movie that, I mean, immediately after I watched it, I was like, I, I cannot wait to own this so I can literally just watch this over and over again until I figure it out. It was, I was that intrigued by it. Now, there, a lot of the, because I read, I started reading about what the reviewer said about this movie, and they say there's three parallel universes going on at the same time. The TU and the GU and some other U. The PU. The, the PU, primary universe. Primary universe. And I always thought Frank was from the primary universe, but he's not. He's from the tangent, tangential universe. He's from the altered one, right? Who, Frank? Yeah. Frank died in the tangential universe. Donnie and is that why the old woman... the right Is eye. that why the old woman who wrote the book is continually going to the mailbox because she has to fulfill her destiny to make the car miss her? Me- uh, maybe I, I see. I, 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 mean, I, I mean, there's just so many questions I have in my mind after watching this movie. Listen, if, if you if you watch Donnie Darko and you go out and look at on the internet for answers, you will find a million answers to a million questions you never even knew you needed to ask about the film, right? And there's different yeah. views exactly on it, but I think that's that's why I thought it. You know, when I first saw it, that's why I think it's still great because people can still have this argument. What was that about? I think it was about this, or I think it was about yeah. this. Um, and you know, like I said, this was the movie that I saw that opened me up to the wider world of cinema. Like, yeah. oh my goodness, movies can do more than just entertain me for two hours. They can make me think straight for two weeks. Oh yeah, no. I pre- I'm glad you assigned it to me. I I really enjoyed my viewing of it. I'm just not sure about the ending. I I walked away going, I'm not really sure. If th- it didn't make sense to me what had happened. Watch it a couple more times. <laughs> That's everyone's reaction the first time you see yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. No, the first time I saw it, trust me, I was just like, it was over. He was gone. Girlfriend came by, and I was like, I don't know what just happened. And I love that it it's free from studio interference. Cause if a studio was in charge of the movie, they would have said, we need grandma death to be the captain exposition, or we would need Donnie to lay out his complete motive before he ran off. And did it? you have to tell someone exactly what he was doing yeah. at the end? Oh no, he didn't. he didn't. He didn't. Oh no, there's no, there's the, as the most exposition you get is when people read from the philosophy of time travel. But then, I mean, when you're reading about manipulated dead and, insurance traps and all this the tangential universes it's not the first time you go over this it's not sinking in oh no it's pretty it's pretty it's very layered and very deep yeah it it is but you know at the end of the day you you know when you when you watch it again knowing now that donnie had to sacrifice himself you'll kind of watch it in a different vein yeah and then the time after that, you'll watch it in a completely different vein. And yep. there's always, you know, you just unpeel yeah. more. Of well, that's it, it made me think of our movie, our horror movie we watched Get Out a, a couple of weeks ago that we reviewed on the podcast. Or maybe it was two weeks ago, I think. I would watch that movie differently knowing what I know now. I would go back in with a whole different set of eyes. And Donnie Darko is the same way. Now that I know where it's going, I would watch it a lot differently this time through. But I, I really liked it a lot. I appreciate it. Awesome. Now it's time to sign new movies. New assignments. So, Roger, you went last. You get a pick first. Oh, so I, I have Matt and um, 
uh, in, in not in the same spirit as Donnie Darko, but I'm going to assign him Mulholland Drive. And the reason I'm assigning this movie to him, and I'll just come out and say it, is that I've seen the movie a couple times, really enjoyed the movie, and have no freaking clue what that movie was about whatsoever. I need somebody smarter than me to explain this movie to me. I mean, it's, me. A da- it's a David Lynch movie, right? Yeah, and so in the same vein, the same spirit, I was like, okay, I want Matt to watch this movie and explain to me what the heck is happening in this movie. I don't know if I have enough time to view it as as many times as necessary because I've seen pretty much all other David Lynch films. And outside of like Dune, um, you, I mean, I, I've already said my piece on Dune and David Lynch uh, with that. But like Elephant Man, you get... But like Eraserhead, yeah, I mean that's that that's a movie right up my alley. So I'm if you don't understand this movie, that makes me pretty excited to go check it out. <laughs> and I'm glad you hit Matt with this because I got him hooked on Twin Peaks. He's watching right now, so he's on full on David Dude, Lynch. I, overload. Yeah, I am on David Lynch overload. Goop. I, I, I I literally went back when I, I I literally went back to I, there's a website I love called Marquee.com. It's M R Q E dot com, and it like takes the top 200 film critics. Then you just search for a movie and it'll give you 200 reviews from around the country. And I don't know how many reviews I read where they said, this movie is brilliant, but I don't have a clue what's going on in this movie. I have no idea what this movie's about. And so I thought, well, at least I'm not alone in my assessment. But I thought, I want Matt to watch it and get his thought. I'm going to watch it again this week to to refresh my memory. But uh, So Mulholland Drive is my assignment, 2001. And it is a David Lynch film, Naomi Watts. Um, yeah. I'm I'm excited to see what what he thinks. No, I'm I'm pumped. So, all right, who's going next? All right, I'll go next. All right, Roger, you sent me to Vienna. I am sending you to Belgium. Oh, nice. People have beef with Colin Farrell. Okay, they don't, <gasps> I know what it is. They don't like him in some of his action roles. Okay, he was kind of viewed as a drugged up bad boy for a while. Okay, alcoholic, all that. I love him in this movie. This by far is Colin Farrell's best performance. And you're going to be watching In Bruges. And it's on Stars. I saw that. It's not available for free anywhere else, but you can rent it from anywhere. And it's in my iTunes library if you just like to watch it from there. And is it like E-N? No, I-N. In Bruges. In Bruges? B-R-U-G-E-S. City in Belgium. Okay, I'm excited. I'm up for it, man. Awesome. It's a comedy. Okay. All right. So now it's my turn to assign Adam. And this is everyone knows. I dread this more than anything else we ever do on our podcast or even when we're doing assignments or anything because Adam has seen so many more films than me. But I have found a film before he did Neon Demon, before he did Drive. He did a film called Valhalla Rising, and I have actually seen this. So, Adam, Valhalla Rising with Mads Mikkelsen. So, hey. Yeah, I'm always up for Mads Mikkelsen. And, and as far as Nicholas Vending Refn goes, I haven't seen any of his foreign stuff. I've seen all the American films. I've not seen Pusher either. Have you seen Bronson? Yes, I've seen Bronson. What do you think of Bronson? Eh. Yeah, it's me too. So Valhalla Rising, is this like uh, a Norse mythology? Is this a Viking-themed deal? Or what's that? Valhalla, isn't that yeah. the, the yeah. underworld? 
Yeah. Viking Underworld. It's I mean it's it's a different kind of movie. Um I like I I mean I like it, but I like stranger movies, but I I'd, I'll be interested to see what Adams thinks. Awesome. Yeah, and then I can add to my list cuz with Refn, Love Drive. I hated Only God Forgives. But love Neon Demon, so he goes. He, there's no middle of the road Refn movie for me. He's going to hit on one end <laughs> yeah. or the other. So I'll yep. see about this one. Awesome. Okay, that wraps up our movie homework. All right, and when we come back, we're going to have a bonus review from Adam, who got special pre tickets to go see Train Spotting Two. So we'll be right back with Adam's review. <laughs> All right, we have a bonus review this week. I was lucky enough to score a ticket to see an advanced screening of T2 Train Spotting, which from now on I will just call Train Spotting 2 because I hate T2 Train Spotting as a name. That's a dumb name. It is because when I hear T2, I think Terminator 2, and that's where it should be left. Yeah, Yeah. so Train Spotting 2 reunites the original cast, the original production team. It's Danny Boyle, same screenwriter, Johnny Lee Miller, Ewan McGregor, and the rest of the guys. And it does pick up 20 years later, so it's real time. The actors have aged 20 years because it came out in 96. I think that's so great. Yeah. I mean, that's just because you don't have to use old makeup. You don't have to do anything. It's just, you know, I mean, people can't wait 20 years between sequels most of the time. But this worked out beautifully. So before I give my review, you should know I'm a fan of the original. I consider Train Spotting a classic. I still remember when I first saw it. It came out in 96. And I saw it sometime after that because we rented it. One of my best friends from middle school was actually junior high, was actually named Adam as well. And we raced over to the video store to grab it on a Friday before the 7 o'clock crew came through the movie store and grabbed all the new releases. Went to his place for sleepover and we watched it four times in a row. Just couldn't get enough. It was visually something like I'd never seen before. No, it was, I mean, I remember I saw this in the theater so I had, this is going to age me, but I was already out of high school. I was on a date with my now wife and I think I had seen a trailer or something, but we drove 45 minutes to a theater. Cause like I said, I only lived in a town with a two screen theater. They were not showing train spotting. We drove uh, to it and watched it and fell in love as well it was it was a beautiful film it was unlike anything i'd seen up to that point uh and a little disturbing and freaked me out a little bit very so. disturbing i mean this is a dark movie it's about teenagers on heroin in scotland yeah 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 it's not pleasant yeah, and, I, and they don't pull any punches with it. i mean they show very realistic they show how it can ravage someone yeah i i remember and maybe that was the reason but i remember watching the movie thinking i really don't like this movie just because it was so realistic and they were so young and i remember thinking man you know is this the way teenagers are over and over there you know i mean they really just drug up and go crazy like this i don't know i just because heroin's no joke that's what they're doing you know it's not you know but so so we pick up 20 years later 20 years later uh ewan mcgregor's character renton or rents is coming back to town. He hasn't seen the people in 20 years. If you've seen the ending of Train Spotting, you know why. 
So he's coming back to the picture. They haven't seen each other. And it's a rough reunion. There's a lot of hurt feelings, <laughs> anger, betrayal, all that. And the movie has the same kinetic energy as the first one. It's a lot of crazy visual angles, camera on the roof, camera on the floor. Yeah. Has a real energy and vibe and music to it. So it feels like train spotting. They capture that feel. Nice. Sorry, I was looking at my <laughs> Wikipedia page for because I wasn't able to go to the screening with you. So when it picks back up, hard reunion, where does it go from there? New schemes. These guys are going to get into <laughs> trouble again. They just fall into being friends all over again, and they're up to no good. Uh, Spud is actually the emotional core of the movie. He's still an addict, and he's kind of had a heartbreaking life. And that's what they focus on. The other guys have had better lives than Spud. So they get into some schemes, and it all kind of plays out in a fun way. This movie is fun all the way through. It never gets as dark as Train Spotting 1, which I think is nice. Because Train Spotting 1 goes to some dark places. And it doesn't go that dark? No, it, it, there's nothing that dark. There's some sad and, character and, and arcs. Maybe but because they've gotten older, maybe they've grown a little bit as people a little bit maybe i don't know why why are you just think he wanted the tone of the film to be different you know i don't know because the it's based on a book the book was called porno with an exclamation point i think and they didn't really follow the book it goes a different direction because i've never read the book but i looked online they don't go that way it's it's its own story but this i think is my top film of 2017 so far i absolutely loved it wow it's high praise. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, so I can't say anything as far as that goes. It'll be hard-pressed to beat John Wick 2 for me. That's yeah, no, I was in so the same far. boat, and it's a different movie. I mean, it's, sometimes oh, it's yeah, hard yeah. to compare a drama to John Wick. The crowd ate it up. They were definitely into it that I saw it with. Oh, yeah, because you probably saw it. I mean, it was the early screening. It was probably a packed house. Yeah, it was packed. Yeah, so early screening movies are a lot different than opening night when we go, because even tonight... There wasn't a ton of people. And Kong was starting Kong. every 15 minutes, though. But And people go it see was. it in 3D. Yeah. We didn't. We skipped Kong in 3D. Oh, but yeah. This movie was packed. I don't... It's coming out in limited release. I don't know when it's actually going to hit Columbus. Because 17th is... March 17th is when it's going to hit New York and L.A. So it may be hard to see for a while. Yeah. Which is why I jumped at the chance to see it, because I didn't know when that was coming out. Yeah, and again. I was bummed, too, when you were like sent me a text. I was like... Oh. Ron Dentoyer going out tonight. I've got the boys. Yeah. I will say this. You can't walk into this movie cold. It is not a sequel that anyone can walk in and enjoy. It's so much based on the first one. There's no flashbacks. There's no explanation that you only would like it, I think, if you like the first movie. Gotcha. So if you haven't seen Train Spotting, don't go see Train Spotting 2, is what you're telling me. I don't think you'd like it. It wouldn't make any sense to you. You wouldn't be attached to the characters. They're they're counting on you to have some attachment to the story already. You can walk into Creed and like Creed without seeing Rocky. You're right. Yeah. Sure. Mad Max Fury Road. You have to see no other Mad Max movies to like Fury You're Road. You're right. Yep. But you have to see Train This Spotting. is a character piece. Yeah. And the essential part of the character building all happened in Train Spotting 1. Yeah, cuz you have a I mean, at least for me when I watched Train Spotting, I had a pretty not that I could relate to what they were doing, right? But like those characters felt real to me. I was invested in them. So, I mean, watching Train Spotting 2, I'm sure that investment that I made will carry over. Plus, I mean, I've watched Train Spotting recently. Once I heard that Train Spotting 2 was coming out, uh, Train Spotting was still on the streaming services. I don't know if it is now. I think I watched it. They on, pulled it from yeah. everywhere. 
as soon as I heard, I knew they were going to pull it. So I watched it a couple times. So I have, you know, that's still fresh in my memory. And I like that they hit your nostalgia button a few times here. But instead of redoing a scene, they do some interesting ways of flashback. Like Spud is walking down the street that he and Ewan McGregor run down the first movie where Ewan rose over the car from the right. police chasing him from shoplifting. And he does the look over and yeah, yeah, Ewan McGregor smiles at the driver and then gets tackled by a cop. It's an iconic scene. Yes. So Spud is just walking down that street on a normal day and he's thinking about things, but you see the two of them in their younger forms run past him. I don't know if they use body doubles or just cut footage that they were able to use from the old film, but it really worked. Because, again, you know that film. You know what he's thinking about. Right. Yeah. So I highly recommend this movie. Awesome. I, I don't know where it's coming out or when it's coming out, <laughs> but if you like train spotting, you need to see it. We'll have to wait to take a vote till we've all seen it, I'm sure. Yeah. I know, I know, at least for me, I'll go check it out. I was in Roger's shoes. I was kind of bummed I couldn't go, but... I, I had two-hour notice, I think, or three-hour yeah. notice that I had, I had the screening invite. I had family obligations, so I'm I'm pumped to see it after hearing what Adam had to say about it. So, Yep, me as well, so awesome. Okay, I think we're just down to our closing remarks. All right, we'll be right back. You are listening to The Film Coterie. We are back for our last uh, segment of the podcast, and this is our coming attractions. And also, I guess this is, I have, how many weeks before I get to assign you guys a movie? You have three weeks in counting this one, because it has to be done before the end of March. So, this week, are you choosing to defer, or are you actually going to hand out our assignment this week? I'm going to defer. And only because I'm I'm holding out. One, I have a couple in the pocket that I I can uh, send you guys to, but I want to see. I haven't had time to research. Um, for those of you that don't know, we did a predict the Oscars, and I ended up winning. And the winner, the winner of this predict the Oscars show, gets to force the other two to go to the movie of the winner's choice, and they have to go together and see it together. So the the idea is you pick the worst movie you could think of or something that you know you think they will hate that you might like or whatever and you force them to go see it together and then they have to come back and give their review of that movie on the podcast and so I have through the end of March uh, to make a determination but now if I if say I get down to the third or fourth week of March and I decide I want you to see X movie and it doesn't come out till April is that okay or does it have to be in the theaters when I actually Announce it. That's what. That's the only rule I wouldn't. It has to be in theaters. Okay, so when I so when I announce it, it has to be in the theaters already. Okay, fair enough. I can do that. So or I mean, does it even have to be a theater? Can he make us watch something off like Netflix or something like that, or does it have to be in theaters? Well, I think it was a theater. I mean, so, it, yeah, we were going to go to the theater together because so you have to go out it. in public together and go to the theater together, <laughs> have and, the experience, and then review the movie on yeah. the following podcast. Yes. Yep. So yeah, so I'm going to defer this week, but um, and I've been doing my best not to play my hand whenever I see a trailer. <laughs> I, I tell you that looks fine. That's fine. 
I said it tonight during Geostorm. Yep, yep. And if I can say that during Geostorm, I can say that during anything. Because yep. trust me, I'm going to go look and see when Geostorm is going to hit the theaters. July. Oh, dang it. I don't have a problem with disaster films, so whatever. Oh, man. Yeah. But, all right, so you're deferring. I'm deferring. All right. But I just want to let everyone know, this is going to be, we're going to try to make this a regular thing. So... We have found, in honor of March Madness, if you're a college basketball fan or a betting fan, because this is like better's mecca, we have found some March Madness movie brackets that we may be doing, and, and hopefully hopefully I can win and force everyone else to do something they don't want to do. <laughs> yep. So, so for those of you that, uh, and I kind of came up with this idea. There's a great, really popular movie podcast called Filmspotting.net, and every year they do a, a March Madness. And so last year they did directors against each other, and they picked uh, 16 or 32 directors, and they did a bracket. The year before that, they did actors and actresses and did a bracket. Well, for the third year of Film Spotting Madness, they decided to do movies that are in their pantheon of what they consider great movies. Now, Film Spotting Podcast has been on for... 10, 12 years. It's two professional film critics, uh, Adam Larson and uh, Josh Larson and Adam, uh, Josh Larson and Adam Kepanera. And they're both from Chicago area film critics, super popular, you know, you know, anyway, so they have a pantheon of movies they have deemed great, like hall of fame, super good movies. And so they picked 64 of these movies and put them head to head bracket style. And, they let all of their listeners go to filmspottingmadness.com and you can vote between which of these two movies you think is better. And then each week they will release the brackets. And so I think what we'll do is we'll go ahead and I've not listened. I know the, the, the second episode released today. And so they already have the results from the first round. But have any either, either you two have probably haven't seen it? No. I have gone out of my way not to. Yeah, I've not seen so, it. So I think we'll do our brackets. We'll fill them out all the way to the finale, and then we'll see who can predict what the, the audience you know, um, says is. No, no. I are cannot you just do gonna, that. Okay. I'm going to pick the movies that I think should win. If it matches up with the audience, so be it. Okay. I just I anytime <laughs> so we'll, so I anytime we'll be, I have to pick, we're going to be in the same shoes. I'm probably going to lose gonna this every time. We're going to be sending Matt to the movie. So, yeah. So and so, what is the wager for this one? Same kind of wager. We're going to do something different. I've proposed the bag of shame, which we may have to build out. We'll have to decide what we want to do. I like a bag of shame. Yes, we might be doing the bag of shame. I like the bag of shame. So explain, Adam, the concept behind the bag of shame. With the bag of shame, we're going to start doing a just short weekly challenge trivia or something with one presenting it, the other two answering. Whoever wins gets to write a movie down on a slip of paper, put it into the bag of shame, and never reveal what he put in there. So over time, the bag <laughs> of shame is going to develop a collection of truly terrible movies. And whenever we do a contest, we can force the loser to have to reach into the bag of shame. Maybe <laughs> they draw one they put in there, and it's self-inflicted. Maybe <laughs> they draw something else. But it's going to be a bag of punishment. Yeah, that, that even if they've seen that movie, they must go watch it again and come <laughs> yes. back and report... On their reviewing of that movie. Yes. But once something leaves the bag of shame. Yes, it is pulled out. It has left the bag of shame. That, But that does not mean that there are not other copies from other people. <laughs> oh, yes. In the bag of shame. There is nothing <laughs> stopping me from each and every week 
writing down Satan's little helper. Satan's little helper. Satan's little helper. Low. 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 But that's vanished off the face of the earth. That's not my problem. (laughs) Unless I pull it. (laughs) There you go. I like it. So, yeah, so maybe that'll be our, the loser, whoever has the lowest score. And we're just going to weight it evenly, one point for each win, all the way through to the end, correct? That's you just, are we, we're not going to weight them, given like each round is better, worth more points or anything like that. Everything's equal. We'll figure it out. Okay. So so we'll go ahead and do our predictions. Whatever scoring helps me the most is what I'm in favor of. We'll go over and do our predictions, and then we'll reveal at least the first round starting next week and how many we got right, and then we'll go on from there. So, yeah, awesome. Okay. You can find us on Facebook. Just search the Film Coterie. We pop up. We're on Twitter with the handle at Film Coterie. And our website is www.filmcoterie.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for tuning in this week. I think it's been a good podcast. Uh, You've been listening to the Film Coterie podcast. And uh, we'll see you guys next.